it's an interesting position to be, be in where I say, I don't have to be behind my desk every day for you know sales to come in. So what is my role now? Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back to the TMBA pod. We are here to grow better lifestyle businesses, businesses that provide you with a great deal of personal and financial freedom. Let's get into it. First, a productivity tip. If you want to get a ton done this week, how about you book an international flight within seven days? Tell me that's not better than getting things done or the next hot productivity app. This is the ultimate productivity app. (laughs) Even sort of scheduling things to do on that flight. Certainly this week's going to be a busy one for me because I'm making my way back in the direction of Austin, Texas for our first big Dynamite Circle event of the year, DC Austin in early April. Looks like it's going to be our biggest and most dynamic event in America yet. I'm super excited about that. In fact, it looks like I'll be able to make it to a handful of Dynamite Circle events in 2020. And it's part of being able to meet so many of you, the folks listening to this podcast, that allows us to examine a business and a guest like today is someone who's managed to get a business off the ground, who's managed to get through those first 1,000 days of full-time effort that we often see it takes to replace what you were making professionally with a business that you've created. But of course, once you achieve liftoff and, and start making decent money every year, the challenge has just begun. And we've started to call this on the show, The Middle Game. In the beginning stages of growing a business, it's like opening theory. It's all these strategies and tactics to get you moving, to get you taking action, to give you runway so that you can get customers and clients and cash flow. But the middle game can often be a lot more complicated. And we've heard a lot of stories like that over the past few years where there's no clear one thing to do. And whereas with a new business, it's sort of up and to the right, achieve liftoff, that's the goal. With a more established business, things can get complicated. And so in today's show, I'd like to chew on some of the ideas and strategies and tactics involved in the middle game. And of course, if you're just getting started, these are things that you will be facing and and it's worth considering now. Today, I'm going to discuss the middle game with returning guest, Chris Cage, founder of Greenbelly Meals, a company that manufactures high quality food bars for through hikers. And there's three sort of elements of the middle game we're going to talk about in today's conversation. The first is that first full-time hire. You know, how do you think about it? How do you get the funds for it? What do they do? We're going to talk about Chris's specific story and how it worked out for him. The second theme is a repeatable process for getting clients. And for Chris, this is content marketing. In the early stages, he was writing these amazing articles. In fact, he's even written a book. And the challenge with so much in business was finding a way to turn what was his unique skill set into a repeatable process that he could invest in as an entrepreneur. And so some definitely some takeaway tips for those of you involved in content marketing in today's episode. And the third theme we'll talk about is taking time away from your business as well as setting founder and business goals in the context of, you know, you're not just fighting for survival anymore, 
but also you want to keep the business on track and still live a balanced lifestyle. So all those themes and a lot more in today's app. So stick around. Now, Chris has been on the show a few times now talking about how it all got started by him writing a book on hiking the Appalachian Trail. Now, Greenbelly Meals is now over five years old, so solidly in that second 1,000 days. And Chris is facing a whole new set of challenges. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I kicked off the conversation by asking Chris about something that has turned out to be very positive for him, making a substantial hire. And I'm pleased to say that it was through our very own website called Dynamite Jobs. You waited a while to hire, didn't you? Yeah, we had. I've had several phases or frameworks, if you will, of hiring. The first thing I hired out was production and fulfillment. I was making all the food by hand and shipping all the orders, and that was the first thing I got off my plate. So this is, but that was contract work as a contractor. Hiring contractors was early on. I mean, designing the logo. I mean, that was like day one, right? So contractors was kind of phase one. Hiring them, I had a couple rounds of VA hires, remote VA hires, none of them panned out. And I finally ended up hiring my girlfriend part-time. She had a job and uh, was looking for extra hours. I said, this is great. You need some extra hours. I need some help. I trust you. You trusted her. Why did you feel you needed to trust somebody? They were looking at my financials. (laughs) That was a huge thing. They were looking at my financials. And especially with customers, I valued my customers so much. I really didn't feel comfortable with hiring what I saw as a B or C class employee dealing with my customers. They're very valuable to me and I don't want somebody screwing up that communication. So there were just lots of things that needed to be done really well. Is that why the VAs didn't work out? It is. They sucked. I mean, they really (laughs) sucked. I never, and I think I've learned a lot about hiring better i think there are some things that i should have done differently but the vas didn't not work out for a variety of reasons so the real kind of first legitimate hire was my girlfriend and she took on operations which was huge so operations we have the contractors which make the food and ship the food but as far as inventory planning that was a big thing So for managing our packaging, managing our ingredients, managing our meals, we are very seasonal. So there's a lot of analysis that needs to be done on making sure that we have stock because there's a lot of lead time, right? So if we have to have summer seasons coming up, a lot of meals are going to be ordered. And let's say some of those ingredients that are obviously fundamental to making those meals have a six-week lead time, like, well, we need to plan that and we need to have those ingredients in stock. So She was the first person to really help take a huge chunk off my plate. And now she's full-time. And Did did hiring her change your mindset about staff at all? Totally. (laughs) I learned I could trust somebody to do a good job before I I really questioned it. I knew it. You thought you might have been the only person in the (laughs) world. I did. (laughs) It sounds crazy now, but I think it was so much of my baby. And when something wasn't done right, I was just, oh, drive me nuts. Did it cause conflicts with her that you were this all-knowing oracle? Of- <laughs> we were, I got to say, we've been, all things considered, I think we've both done a good job of separating the personal life and the professional life. So what was then your motivation to make your first real hire? What was, what's the story there? Revenue is increasing. I think we grew, I think, 200% in 2017, maybe 250%. 
It's just a big year. Big year. And frankly, we just had money to hire somebody. How do you make that judgment, though? This is a really tough question, but I'd be curious about what your process was. I didn't have any crazy, no crazy analysis. I mean, I was doing my own bookkeeping on spreadsheets, and I just frankly saw my bank accounts like jumping up significantly. And I thought we just have cash at our disposal and combine that with the fact that I was still working a ton. I know specifically that I, the role that we're talking about was the the marketing role, which at that time I was doing a lot of heavy lifting. You hired, your first hire was a marketing person. Correct. And I was talking to some friends that were running lots of online blogs and blah, blah, blah. And they were they never would even touch the keyboard to write a word on those blogs. And I was doing the SEO research. I was creating the outlines. I was doing the product outreach, product testing, writing the articles. I was doing I was doing a lot of stuff, not to mention being the business owner. Well, the interesting thing about that, though, is, you know, 2017, you have your first big year of momentum. You carve out a salary out of for someone else. That's a big hit to your personal income. Finding that fine line between when it felt appropriate to hire somebody versus when I should just continue doing everything was it was not easy. And I, I really think actually, I remember talking to you in Chiang Mai about it. <laughs> You're like, dude, yeah. You need to hire somebody. So <laughs> that was it. I think as a bootstrapping business owner, that's worked to my advantage. I feel like I've seen tons of VC-backed companies crash and burn. Watching those companies, I roll my eyes. I'm like, who is behind the wheel? Like, like what are y'all doing? Like, what are you doing? You find you only should be doing profitable marketing campaigns. If it's not making you money, cut it, right? Like, yeah. cut it. What are you doing? So as a bootstrapper, that's been it. If it doesn't make money, I'm not doing it, right? Like that was the biggest thing. I think that that like penny-pinching mentality, knowing that you get fed last, I think at the end of the day, if it sucks for me, I'm kind of like accepted it sucks for me. So I'm okay working longer hours. When does it suck so much that you need to hire somebody? That's the line that I wasn't sure to draw. One of our most famous episodes of all time is titled The Exact Opposite, which is called if it makes you money, you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> do you understand the concept? Yeah, That's no, important. totally. Right, exactly. If it's making you money, you need to find somebody else to do it. Find a system for it. There should be a right? margin there. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Since that's ultimately what happened, right? What was the genesis of that? And what did you fear at that moment? If they could do the job. It's very simple. That was the biggest fear. Specifically for this role, it was a marketing role, which we do a lot of content marketing. And you are an author. Exactly. I'm not a phenomenal writer by any means, but I knew that I spoke my customer's language. I feared whether or not I could find somebody that could do that. And so what happened? Got hooked up with Dynamite Jobs and hired somebody. What were the applicants like versus your expectation? The two types of people that I really considered hiring were backpackers that knew the industry, knew the language, blah, blah, blah. They could write for days about the Continental Divide Trail. And you mean through hikers? Yeah. Through hikers. The other candidates were marketers. And, you know, these were people that had a little bit of background in marketing to a moderate amount of experience in marketing. And they ended up going with the the marketers, right? I felt like, strangely, that the lack of backpacking experience could be researched and frankly i knew that that was a piece if we ever had any questions on a call we just i could help navigate them you know as as needed so 
ended up going for a marketer and he's been great. You know, it's been about a year exactly right now. I wrote an article about your hiring process afterwards because you, this distinction you laid out was really fascinating to me and one that I've encountered a lot in my life. I ended up calling it the charisma trap. What I meant by that was a lot of times when you're putting up a job ad, there'll be people who are so into the object of what your company does. And so in the case of Dynamite Circle, a lot of people be like, I've been a digital nomad for five years. I've traveled to 75,000 countries. I, I love meetups and meeting people and blah, blah, blah. You feel a sense of pride and emotion that like, yeah, we all are digital. This is awesome, you know? And one of the things that took me a while to realize is like actually the job, how all these people connect, how the digital nomad lifestyle gets powered or whatever, it, it's powered by spreadsheets. It's powered by cash flows. It's powered by email. And those are the things that you need to be passionate about. The object is, is secondary. I remember there's one applicant in particular that was really fired up about Green Belly. And I bought into that, right? I mean, that made me feel good reading his application. I mean, he loved Green Belly. You know, he was fired up about the outdoor industry. He was fired up about... It's like a dyed-in-the-wool backpacker. Right. I didn't feel like I could throw him into the role. Sure, he'd be a fan, right? But I was like, I don't want a fan. You know, I want somebody who, who can take hours off my plate and help grow the business. You want a professional who's passionate about marketing. Right, totally. Yeah, and sometimes it's tough to parse the two out when your company has a cool product. 100%. I remember talking to you about that and... Looking back on that, the decision should have been very easy. But at the time, I was, it was not. There's a lot of talk about like hiring your tribe. We're going to build this like hiker run, awesome e-commerce. Right. You guys are all going to use your own products. Right. And- right. <laughs> going to chest bump you know, all, the, all over the place. But, um, You're going to go on hikes together. Right. And I was like, yeah, no. I needed to, needed to hire somebody that could literally just put into the role and would grasp it very quickly. We're coming to the end of this first story of how you made your first hire. And do you have um, kind of a one year into it now review of, you know, maybe looking back to people who are thinking about making that first real hire where you're putting out a real livable wage to somebody. How's it been? It's been great. The biggest thing for me was taking hours off my plate. <laughs> At the beginning, was it like that though? Fairly quickly. As time has gone on, six months into it, I was hardly touching the marketing. I mean, I was, I was still involved in a lot of things like uh, high-level concepts and you know, making sure that our content strategy was on par and we were discussing that sort of things. But in general, I mean, a lot of heavy lifting was taken off my plate, which was exactly what I wanted and exactly what I needed. So, A lot of entrepreneurs, though, describe staff like a washing machine or whatever. Like It's supposedly this thing that saves you time but you just buy more clothes and do more wash or whatever and some people describe employees like that that they just create more work no i disagree sure there's gonna there's always gonna be a 10 to 20 percent effort involved with managing them but you want that 80 to 90 percent that they're gonna be giving back to you right so uh, there's no doubt like yes of course there's gonna be some management and involvement there but they're gonna provide 10x what you're gonna be having to manage them for if you want to work less and your employees aren't enabling that for you you're doing something wrong i was about to say you're, you're just, doing something wrong that just, don't, the numbers aren't there. adding up <laughs> nope doesn't need to be there that's on you 
All right, everybody, we're back with another Dynamite Deal. If you want to know what this is all about, head on over to dynamitedeals.co. The concept is done-for-you services that can improve or grow your business with the click of a button. Today, we are talking about tax optimization. We've got deals for those of you who want to improve your tax structure. Now, taxes, of course, can be a strange and scary affair and business incorporation and all that has to do with that. And that's why today we found a trusted deal partner to help you with your questions. We've also got a deal for non-US citizens and for US citizens who want to improve their tax structure. These dynamite deals come from the online tax man who has been helping entrepreneurs and US expats for the last 10 years with international business structuring and financial advice. The owner, Vincenzo Villamina, is a member of the Dynamite Circle, the DC, and has helped many of our members. And we're excited to share this service with you today. So the two deals, the first is for non-U.S. citizens. You know that the U.S. is one of the biggest tax havens for non-U.S. citizens and non-U.S. residents who are building a new business or looking to improve the tax structure of their current business. And one of the best ways to do this is by opening up an LLC in the great state of Wyoming. Today's dynamite deal for non-U.S. citizens, the online taxman will open up a Wyoming LLC, get you an EIN number, help you open a U.S. bank account, and file your 5472 form. They will get this all set up for you for one simple fee, as well as answer any questions and help with IRS correspondence. So why Wyoming? Well, you don't have to be a U.S. citizen to form an LLC there, and you can live anywhere in the world. And compared to other states in the U.S., there is more privacy because there is less reporting and disclosure requirements. Now, many of you who are not U.S. citizens will know there are incredible benefits to having a setup in the U.S., having that bank account, giving you access to all different kinds of services, financial, technical, and so on. So do check out that deal over at Dynamite Deals. For those of you who are U.S. citizens, the online tax man is offering a discounted consultation with a foreign structuring and tax expert who answer your questions regarding setting up an offshore business, the tax implications, asset protection, and more. During the consultation, you'll receive actionable advice and guidance on those matters for your specific situation. And if you need help beyond the call, the taxman will be ready to get you started off in the right direction. So a lot of this can be messy. This dynamite deal is designed to simplify, cut through the noise, and get you started on a more tax-efficient business. So there you have it. If you're interested in today's dynamite deal and want to learn more about today's partner, the online taxman, head on over to dynamitedeals.co. The number two story about middle game entrepreneurship. So I'll define middle game as anything after your first 1000 days with the same business. You developed a powerful process around the most important lead generation strategy in your business, a process that's largely executed outside of your desk. So I just want you to walk me through it from the very beginning. So we do content marketing. Content marketing is, in my mind, when you create something of value and offer it to potential customers for free. And that, in our case, has been blog posts mainly. What's an example of a blog post that really works for you for getting customers? This one was one of the early ones, was backpacking food ideas. I just wrote a list about a bunch of random backpacking food ideas. What are some of the things that um, backpackers eat on the trail? Mm. 
It's not pretty, is it? No, it's getting better. It's getting better. Have you heard of Green Belly? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how you do it. Yeah. That's content marketing. <laughs> well, give me some of the list. I want to. Hear, I want to hear about what. Uh, yeah, are. I mean, the staples would be nuts and dried fruit. I mean, that's been around for ages. And then you can segue into. I mean, people eat tortillas, peanut butter, olive oil, tuna, jerky. I've been getting into pork rinds, seaweed. I'm trying to get greens out there. I'm trying to get more into powdered things, powdered proteins, and you know, there's all sorts of good stuff out there like that. This was like maybe 2016 when I first created that blog post, and we just started getting traffic. <laughs> you know, started getting traffic. I didn't really know why. So backpackers come to your food ideas thing, and then they're like, "Whoa, there, here's a meal company." Totally. There's a lot of synergy around content. The way I describe that. Listeners might be thinking, oh, they create backpacking content and they just get sales. And what do you know? One of the ideas that we list in that post is our meals, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, we do get direct sales there. However, there's this whole synergy around content marketing that it's a touch point. People who are Googling for backpacking food come across that post. They may bounce, but they saw the Greenbelly logo. There's an email capture. They'll get on our newsletter. There's a backlink there that some, you know, when we start generating lots of traffic, inevitably somebody's going to link back to our site and increase our site authority. So there's just all these things that start happening with content. Could you even list like a competitor's food item and then get a commission off of Amazon or something? Like totally. That? Like yeah. Sell cliff bars. Totally. We, and we do that, right? So that, that kind of was the next step of our content marketing was a lot of what we were talking about was gear related. A huge piece of backpacking is gear, right? That's one of the biggest conversations in the backpacking community is what gear are you packing? And so that conversation is something that we started getting into. A lot of people along the way were saying, dude, if you're talking about all this gear stuff, you should be getting a piece of it. You're referring somebody else's sales, right? Which in my mind, I thought, well, it's worth it on my own to be talking about all this good stuff that my you know, potential customers are going to be saying I'm a trustworthy source of information. It's like I was double dipping, right? So this became a meaningful source of revenue for you. I would say maybe 10 to 15% of our revenues from affiliate and commissions. So, so you could, in theory, not have a product and still live. I could definitely live off the affiliate it's commissions. Like a backup plan. Absolutely. I think that in and itself is a takeaway tip. It's like an inherent diversification. It makes me happy as an entrepreneur that you have this like backup revenue stream right there you know? Yeah. And this idea of you running this fast growing company, you're starting to get your girlfriend involved as an ops person. And so you're sitting there basically saying, I got to write. Yeah. And so how does that work? You just go into the coffee shop and buying coffees and just writing? Yep. I would write two posts a month for about two years. And I was slowly learning a little bit about what post I would write about would bring in traffic. And started slowly learning about, okay, maybe I need to do some keyword research to make sure that these posts I'm writing about are actually going to generate some traffic. So it started kind of slowly evolving. To, I'm by no means an SEO expert. I kind of understand the gist of it, understand how to write a good piece of content. I started really realizing that if this is becoming a fundamental pillar of our marketing strategy, that maybe we should take it up a notch. And I was also realizing I'm taking it's taking up a ton of my time. Right? How, how much time would it take you to write one of these articles? Give me an example of like the article title, how long it is, and how much time it would take you. There's a backpacking tent post that was talking about ultralight backpacking tents. I remember sitting, I was at home visiting my mom during this time. I think it was Christmas time. 
And I like perched up on her countertop for like five days writing this thing. And it was maybe 2,500 words. It wasn't even that long. I was wanting every word to be right. And I was wanting to make sure all the research was right. And I just nerded out on it. And I, I mean, there's also other stuff, right? I've got the images. I would say for a really, what I would consider to be an A quality post like that, from outline to f- completion, a week. 40 hours. Right. If I'm, so if I'm writing two pieces a month, that's literally half of my time just creating content. And so this was the first area of your business that asserted itself as, you know, it's making me money. I shouldn't be doing it. Right. As well as other areas, but they were much less consistent. PR, for example, PR is, it's very hard to get a system around PR. So content was something that I knew we just need to do this. Let's get some systems around this and hire somebody to do it. Describe the system that you ended up creating. Which is still evolving. Our content creation system has evolved since day one. It's never been exactly the same. Currently, I'm doing the keyword research. We will talk about on our weekly and call. Ahrefs. Several tools, but Ahrefs is one of them. Yes. What are the other ones? Ahrefs. I use SerpStat. I, I actually like to triangulate my keyword search volume with several different systems to make sure that it's okay. How would you describe the keywords that you feel are, are the good ones? Our content strategy is actually very loose. I've been criticized heavily about this. I want to talk about anything and everything backpacking related. A lot of pushback I've gotten is we should be talking much more about our stuff relating to our product, right? Like what's, why aren't we talking more about backpacking food content instead of just backpacking content in general? I can't argue with traffic. There's just not enough search volume related around backpacking food specific terms. Anybody who needs a backpacking tent also needs backpacking food. That's my mentality. And the double dipping mentality we're getting, or quadruple dipping, right? We're getting backlinks from this content. We're getting a touch point, eyeballs to the site. We're getting newsletter subscribers. We're getting affiliate commissions. It's not just a direct sale, right? Uh, to me, there are just all these things that happen when you, when you get eyeballs on your site. I'm also following lots of stuff online. I'm just, I'm interested in this stuff. So like I, all sorts of stuff will come across my Facebook feed. Lots of things will generate ideas for me and then I'll be going and double checking to make sure that some of these ideas actually have search volume to back them up and make sure they're a legitimate keyword I want to target. And do you have a rule of thumb about search volume and competitiveness? No, and this kind of goes back to what's our real point of the post. Are we trying to get a direct conversion? AKA, is it going to be backpacking food related? Are we trying to get tons of eyeballs and maybe potential backlinks? Which could be, we talked about animal tracks. That's, we talked about animal tracks in one of our posts. That post, man, I think that's getting several thousand visitors a day, just that post, right? But it's not making sales for us. It's just a general high traffic post that we can rank for. So you saw animal tracks and Ahrefs and said, wow, like a lot of people are interested in this. Do you look at then the competitiveness of that term or do you 100%. just go for it? Yeah, and then look at the competitiveness and make sure it's, I'm not gonna say it has to suck, you know, or at least the competition has to suck, but that we can have a competitive angle to rank for it. That's the biggest thing is, can we have a competitive angle on this content or not? So you're like looking at the competitor's post and saying, I think we can do a better one. Yes, simple as that. Marketer creates the outline, and then we have two writers. You know, we'll send them stuff. Maybe be geared to test, or maybe not. You know, be able to just be a so how to. Even the marketer that you hired isn't doing the writing. He'll do some. He'll do some. This is one thing I think has actually been very helpful, and not just adding a person, but adding another brain was 
saying, we need to be having more writers on board to be helping with this. And my job should be much more coordinating these posts to be a quality posts, which, you know, I, t- I totally agree with. You guys have taken something that's taken 80 hours a month of your time. So how many hours do you spend on these pieces of content now? Less than 10 hours a month, maybe f- five. Those five hours a month are being spent on editing? Mm, keyword research. Really, my entire job right now is is finding keywords, making sure that they're going to be something we want to target, and then conveying my vision for these posts to the marketing guy. So you then go to the marketing guy, who's the first hire, mm-hmm. and you say, here's the keyword, here's how we can be better. Correct. Two and a half hours an article. Correct. And then, boom, the articles show up? More or less. And how much do you pay for that? It varies. If we write a 3,000-word article, our writers are 10 cents a word. So that's $300 right there. We're probably going to have maybe some image sourcing, maybe some illustrations, something along those lines, some extra media. That's going to pay for that media. Pay for that media. Like I know we just did something about trail mixes, which we had a photographer take lots of pictures of trail mix ideas in our kitchen. Oh, wow. So that was, I mean, that was $250. You do that from Upwork or something like that? or Yeah, she's taken product images for us in the past, and she does a phenomenal job. So she orders them off of Amazon. She'll go and go to the grocery store and go find all these ingredients for a trail mix. I see. And then piece them together for different layouts. That's cool. So, so this, I mean, that post in particular, I mean, you could have $300 for words, you know, plus a couple hundred dollars for media, not to mention the marketer, marketer's time to do it. So we're talking minimum. On average, I would say about 500-ish a pop. 500 a pop, like that's your cost, not including what you're spending on your full-time employee. And how much of their time do you think these articles are taking? Half. So you took 80 hours off of your desk and put them directly onto the desk of, of the marketer. Correct. At the end of the day, you're paying 1000 bucks an article, something like that. Yeah. I'm trying to give the audience a sense for, I think a lot of us want to do this in our business. And so you're spending a couple thousand dollars a month putting out content. For sure. Have you thought about hiring an agency to do it? No. Why? Agencies don't care about you. That's my general impression. They care about them. They care about them, which obviously that's a generalization, blah, blah, blah. It's a generalization. That's that's just how I feel. But you could say the other way, which is like, you know, hire an agency when you care about the agency. Like, so you could look at a lot of companies, it's good enough just to buy whatever the agency provides. True. I think if, if it's more technical, I think agencies can be great, specifically for something like maybe ads, like Facebook ads. But as far as content, it's much more abstract. It's like hard to define exactly what you're doing. Uh, you're making sure they're matching your voice and like all these kinds of, I don't know. It doesn't, no. Well, I think it's interesting how you took this 80-hour profitable nugget that was your grind and your identity and you turn it into something that you just oversee and it gets done. It's pretty magical. That's business. I've not even put it together quite like you just did. But when you say that, yeah, it feels great. The final story I want to talk to you about is somewhat related, which is taking time away. You took a lot of time off of your business this year. It's kind of been a theme this year on the podcast, and that's why I wanted to touch on it a little bit. Yeah, I did. So I I took time off, a lot of time off this year. And you know, as we talked about at the beginning, I worked hard for many years, and I don't remember a time I took like 
a real vacation. Like, I mean, I mean, I've done backpacking trips for a couple of days. Like, I haven't done a long hike. I haven't done like really anything like that in years. You right. know, like, like before you started the business, you yeah. did the AT, the Appalachian Trail, right? Which takes six months. Well, yeah, and it, yeah, even forget about hiking. Like, there was no like laptop closed for several days. Period. I remember, like, even working in corporate America, there was like you have proper vacations. So anyway. I knew in July this year, my girlfriend and I were talking about going to Canada and spring 2019, we're talking about, I would have launched two products. I would have done a lot of work. And I really said to myself, once those hit and we start hitting our stride in peak season, which is summertime, I'm going to kind of pull back and take some time off in Canada. I'm going to be taking Fridays off and like, I want to go on a backpacking trip every freaking weekend. And I did, and it was amazing. And even in the middle of the week, I was like working, you know, less hours. And that that after that, I realized that I have to attribute a lot of this to the hire, right? Because he took so many hours off my plate. I was I was allowed to create my schedule. I wasn't forced to be putting out these posts every week, right? And so, segueing out after July from spending time in Canada hiking all the time, I was kind of like, yeah, I have some time on my hands, and. Around that time, also, I started really encountering encountering some personal stuff, which I won't get into, but it took several months of my personal time dealing with that. What started off as kind of a want, oh, this sounds great to take a vacation, turned into a need for personal time. And I was really thankful to have had, you know, some systems in place so I could step out of the business for a little while. So it wasn't like I wasn't working at all, but my creative energy was not being put into the business hardly at all. Did you worry about how your new hire might react to that? I did, but I'd like to think that I was still involved enough where it wasn't just... You didn't ghost. I by no means came close to ghosting. But in my mind, my creative energy went there, well, right? Like I wasn't, I wasn't fired up about work. I wasn't getting in deep into any... I was not doing any deep work during that time. This is where my back to the math of like the, the sort of staff naysayers kind of surprises and shocks me, which is, you know, after this, I, I've got a call with a extremely competent professional staff member who does an enormous amount for the business. And my role is to check in, guide, offer some feedback where I can, but it's their job. They're going to do the job. And my job is simply to talk to them about it. I mean, I don't, I don't know why this equation has to be so difficult. I was visualizing you in Canada with you got your operations person you got your people replying to your customers in ways that you feel comfortable that you've guided them over the months and years. And you got somebody in charge of the growth engine of your business. And this all works because you have a product. And you can drop more products if you want to get on your horse and you don't want to take the summer off. Or you can get on the phone occasionally with the people who are professionals and you can let the, the thing go. Which is probably the most interesting thing that I've been dealing with lately is I don't have to be working for the green belly to be bringing in revenue. Long term, I do. It's an interesting position to be in where I say, I don't have to be behind my desk every day for you know, sales to come in. So what is my role now? Is it to take time off personally and make sure that these pillars are still kind of functioning? Or is it to be taking the next step and taking stabs at new new marketing channels, new products, new ventures, you know, whatever new thing there could be. But 
I think for a while I was kind of stressed about that. that like, okay, what am I going to do next, right? Like, what am I doing now? It's like, it took me so long to figure out that here's a pillar that works for us. And by pillar, you mean the content marketing? Content marketing. Right now that pillar is kind of outsourced, if you will, to an employee, then what is my role here? And I think for a while I was kind of like, okay, I'm happy to just chill. But now I'm kind of redefining like, no, I've got some ideas. Here are these things that I really want to go full throttle out again. I'm glad you bought it to that because that's kind of the end of of my outline here, which is you asked the fundamental middle game question, which is the existential question. Because in the early game, there's no existential question. It is survive. Like we talked about, everything goes into this. The kitchen freaking sink. The end game, it's obvious. Like, man, like the ship's burning down. I'm going to sell it to somebody. I'm going to cash out. End game's pretty clear. The middle game is like, what are we all doing here? We know how the pieces move, but we still have to formulate a tactic or a plan. And I find a lot of founders struggle with their role in the middle game because there's a lot of established pieces or pillars, as you called them. And you can work and you cannot, and you can grow and you cannot, and you can dump creative energy, and you can pursue other things. And people have a hard time finding their role survive yeah, that's a good word to say but when you say that it's like i'm in survival mode that's a better way to say it my mentality is making sure that this business is going to be sound right and i feel like that is okay now so yeah what is my purpose in this business now i've had some anxiety about it but now i think it's actually i'm fired up i think it's a, i think it's a fun place to be in what changed from anxiety to more confidence having a plan. I think before, and that's just a natural tendency of mine. I I tend to get stressed when I don't know what I'm doing. We've taken all these stabs at growing our business, right? And when things work, you double down. When things don't, you abandon. And so I think in my mind, we had taken stabs at most all of the other realistic looking channels. So I kind of didn't really know where to turn, right? And I think that caused anxiety because I didn't have a plan on on what made sense of what direction to take Greenbelly. And I've gotten a lot of energy going around some new ideas to be doing. So that feels good. Thanks for coming on the TMBA podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Shout out to Chris Cage from Greenbelly Meals for coming by the living room and uh, sharing openly his challenges with us today. And also for all the entrepreneurs that come by the show and do this, a lot of these middle game stories, you know, these, these founders aren't incentivized to share their story. And that's part of the reason that these in-person events like, you know, DC Austin and other DC events really help us to find interesting stories that we feel can help motivate, inspire, and inform you. So thanks to Chris for being a part of that. And thanks to you for listening. Uh, here's hoping you make it and excel through the middle game. And I guess if you're interested in the end game, check out my uh, book, Before the Exit, which is all about end game. We recently put it on the Tropical MBA website for free for email subscribers. So if you've never subscribed to our email list and want to know everything that's going on below the podcast, do check out tropicalmba.com. We got that free PDF copy and it's also available on Audible or Amazon if you prefer to check out the book in those formats. Why not pimp my stuff? Uh, (laughs) 
that's it, guys. I have a big week getting ready to fly back to the US. I'm so excited to hang out with Boss Man, to hang out with so many of you stateside. I hope you're having a great week, a great weekend. And of course, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.